Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are into the first round of basketball's playoffs, and it has been incredibly, incredibly enjoyable. Some series may be all but done, the <laughs> Toronto Raptors, and others are just getting more intense. Bet online is the place to stop for all of your bets, props, odds, wagers, gambles, plays, and any and everything gambling during the basketball playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is April 22nd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. We appreciate you stopping in, however... And whenever it is you may be listening, we've got a really fun show planned for you today. Yesterday, I teased that we were going to talk a little bit about the Debo Samuel-Kyler Murray situation. And I still have thoughts about Debo Samuel-Kyler Murray situation, um, especially the fact that fan bases immediately turn on star players when it's a it's a with us or against us situation. I saw... A.J. Brown had a tweet about, oh, so now I'm a bad teammate all of a sudden. Okay, I see how it is. That as soon as it becomes a talk about money, it's like the most terrible thing in the world. And all of a sudden, we can't have this conversation or have this engagement anymore. And so I found that interesting. I'm going to kick it down the road again for you guys. I'm sorry. We were going to include it yesterday. Messed up on the audio file. It's okay. We just produce a lot of content, so we just keep throwing stuff out and see what sticks. We'll get to that at some point down the line. Just going to kick it down the road again. Uh, Although, you know, if you've listened to little bits and pieces, we've kind of pieced it together a little bit. But basically, the, the Spark Notes version of what I wanted to say is, you know... It seems like a reasonable request from Debo Samuel. Wants to play wide receiver, extend his career instead of taking all the bruises that running backs get. Not sure if it's right or wrong. It just seems reasonable if that's what he wants. And so making more or less money now is an interesting trade-off. All of that. The thing that I think about that is it's like we put athletes into a box and we make their choices binary so that it's easier for us to understand. You're either a bad teammate or a team player, and there's no in-between. You're either with us or against us. And when you root for teams, 
and your loyalty is to management, which I've complained about some people being really pro-management and NFL media being pro-management and how we've kind of been washed into this situation. It's really weird, and also it's how fandom works sometimes. When we do pro-management stuff, all of a sudden, Debo Samuel gets smeared. Kyler Murray gets smeared. Um, A.J. Brown might start to get smeared at some point here, although he hasn't really publicly demanded his way out yet. Um, Kyler Murray's retracting a little bit as he's in a contract dispute by tweeting out the 100 emoji after... He uh, after um, Steve Kime said there's a zero chance that Kyler Murray gets traded. All of that stuff that you know, I until there's more credible reporting because this is all part of the public relations battle for Kyler Murray. All of it is really complex and really crazy and difficult to find out. And so, this is an interesting place here. Patrick Peterson, by the way, was the one who was commenting on this, and Kyler Murray put the "I want to win Super Bowls." with the Cardinals, Arizona is home, and then also gets the body armor ad, all that stuff. So yeah, all of that stuff is interesting and also pro-management to a certain extent. And when you're not, when you're pro-management, all of a sudden you buy all sorts of, it's, you buy yourself all sorts of stuff. And by the way, Kyler Murray going on the, the tangent on the internet is interesting because Kyler Murray is playing both sides of the story on this one and it's interesting because Kyler Murray is in this interesting place of conflict but anyways the whole point is like you're either good or bad it's like okay Kyler Murray tweets out support of the Cardinals okay now he's good again and it's really really interesting to see how it plays out because we don't treat athletes more than like you're with us or against us and it makes it easier for us to process it also makes us wrong like Kyler Murray's not a good or bad teammate just because he wants a large contract extension Debo Samuel's not a good or bad teammate just because he wants to leave especially those two guys because they didn't get to pick the places that they go they got drafted there they didn't get to pick the places that they play maybe this is just the pro labor thing coming out there but that was my whole point there. We didn't get to add that yesterday. The most of the point, why do we as fans, well, I mean, I don't view myself as a fan in the same way, but I am a fan in this respect. Why do fans of teams put players in a box? You make them only care about money, only care about more playing time, which may be true, maybe not true. Take the time to read and figure out what people want because Debo Samuel's requesting, I want to be a true, or I think it's best for my career to be a true wide receiver and I feel that I know what's best for myself and the longevity of my career, and that's the decision I want to make, and I'm willing to accept the consequences of that, which I can read the direct report from Tom Pelissero too, which adds to it. But it's that idea of, like, for right or for wrong with Debo Samuel, it at least seems reasonable, and then he's kind of been trashed on the way down, which is interesting. And fortunately, I have seen some pro-management people in this respect. It's just interesting to see how people have played it out over the past few weeks. And so, you know, it's it's really weird how that works out. By the way, we'll talk more about Debo Samuel. I forgot to tease. We'll talk more about Debo Samuel with our friend Blake Jude of Stripe Hype Cincy and his NFL draft coverage all coming at you today on the Take It Easy podcast before he heads on a bird over to Vegas for the first few days of the NFL draft. Here's the Tom Pelissero report about it. Quote, It sounds like there's multiple layers to this. 
Certainly one of them is Debo Samuel wants to be a receiver and not a receiver running back. His rushing attempts were significantly up last season from where they've been in the past. We all know that he's a really, really physical player. There are probably are some concerns about his longevity. The counterpoint to that is, of course, part of the reason Debo is so valuable is because he's versatile. In the big picture, it sounds like the role is part of the reason that Debo wants to play somewhere else, where he may just be a true wide receiver and potentially tack on some years to his career. Don't know whether it's the best decision for Debo Samuel, but if this is the classic game theory idea of preferences, if Debo Samuel prefers that, then it's right for Debo Samuel. He's a rational person making decision, and it's interesting how this is going to work out. So I think that Debo Samuel is making a reasonable request, and I don't know why we're immediately putting him in a box and calling him a bad teammate or smearing him saying he's not skilled enough. He would be as he would be as good as Kenny Galladay if he were just a true wide receiver. I don't understand the hostile nature to the idea of someone going through a contract negotiation. It's very interesting. Thought I'd add that here early on in the show. We're going to talk to Blake Jude in a second. New sponsor alert. It's the good people over at creditkarma.com. Sponsoring the Take It Easy podcast. Credit Karma can help you look for a low interest personal loan that could help you save money while you pay off a purchase or pay down old credit card debt. Credit Karma compares loan offers for free and it will not affect your credit score to use creditkarma.com. If you're ready to apply, you can use the link in the description to this episode or head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see your personalized offers. Again, that's creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find the loan for you. Creditkarma.com slash loan offers. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. Before we do that, though, I wanted to talk about the NBA playoffs. Because we're going to be off for a couple days, unless there's something big that happens in the NBA over the next, well, really three days, because we're recording this on Thursday night. And, you know, spoiler alert, at the time of recording this, it is a Timberwolves lead over the Grizzlies, and my beloved Minnesota Timberwolves just might get two games in this series, and it would be so freaking cool. The beloved Timber Pups going up 2-1 against the Grizzlies. And I said they'd go down 3-1 originally. Oh, so much fun. So much fun for the Timber Pups. John Morant's only taken two shots, and it's the second half of the game. D'Angelo Russell, 13. Ant-Man, 7. Carl Towns, 6. Patrick Beverly, 12 points. Oh my gosh, Patrick Beverly has 12 points. All oh, the beautiful Timber Pups. So yeah, I assume like Sunday or uh, or Monday we'll talk about this a little bit more. What I'm interested in from this standpoint is it's the annual time of year where injuries start to take over the playoff series. And while we were eulogizing the New Orleans Pelicans because the Pelicans were down at halftime against the Phoenix Suns in game two and we did the full eulogy of them on Wednesday, Pelicans at least have a ballpark chance now because Devin Booker is going to be out with an MCL sprain, and not to be a a medical expert in these circumstances, but back in 2019 and 2020, right before the pandemic began, I myself dislocated my kneecap and sprained my MCL. It was a mild sprain of the MCL, yet still a sprain of the MCL, and it was about four to six weeks before I could actually do 
physical activity. It required two months of rehab to fully get it back to health, but it took four to six weeks before I could pretty much do anything without pain or having to wear knee braces. So you're looking at a four to six week injury to be fully healthy again for Devin Booker. I assume Devin Booker is going to try and rush this back so that he can play possibly in the second round series or in such a place where Phoenix needs him early on in the playoffs or like needs him to beat the Pelicans. And this is how all of these playoff series start to change as Luka Doncic isn't going to play in game five and they've just or game three and they've just tipped off against the Jazz and the Jazz are huge favorites. But do any of us trust the Jazz to win? Absolutely not, because the Jazz keep effing this up over and over and over again. But what's interesting is the Devin Booker injury combined with yesterday, which is really now two days ago, Chris Middleton getting injured for Milwaukee changes the nature of both of those series for the teams that for the past five weeks of the season have been the best basketball teams in the NBA. Like Milwaukee and Phoenix for like a month and a half since the regular season really stopped mattering. We knew they were the two best teams in the NBA. And if you take away Devin Booker, who I view as the best player on the Phoenix Suns, and you take away Chris Middleton, who as much as Giannis is the reason that they win championships, Giannis has said pretty consistently, and it's been evident over the years now, like Chris Middleton is the closer and he trusts Chris Middleton with every big shot. And, That's an interesting place to be in because Milwaukee is going to be able to win that series without Chris Middleton, but against Boston, it's closer. Against Brooklyn, it's closer. Like, this is a really difficult situation that Milwaukee finds themselves in, just as it's an incredibly difficult situation for Phoenix. Because if you take away Devin Booker from Phoenix, Utah's got a puncher's chance. It's not a guarantee. Utah's got a puncher's chance. By the way, I'm going to throw this out here too. Would you trade Rudy Gobert for DeAndre Ayton straight up this offseason? Possibly. Would you have to add compensation? Who knows? It's an interesting possibility. And so Phoenix and Milwaukee are in really interesting positions because Phoenix and Milwaukee were the two favorites to make it out of their conferences. And last year, we talked about how the 10 best teams in the NBA all had major injuries when we got to the playoffs. If I'm doing it off the top of my head and I can remember this correctly, the Bucks lost Dante DiVincenzo. Phoenix was remarkably healthy until Chris Paul got hurt in the conference finals. Or Chris Paul got COVID and then got hurt in the conference finals, but it wasn't like a serious injury. The Utah Jazz lost Mike Conley for an extended period of the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George got hurt for the Los Angeles Clippers. Denver Nuggets lost Jamal Murray. In the Eastern Conference, the Hawks lost, uh, um, was it DeAndre Hunter? I can't remember. But then Trey Young got hurt in their playoff series. In the Bucks series, again, they lost DiVincenzo. I mentioned that. Uh, Brooklyn lost James Harden and Kyrie Irving for periods of the playoff series they lost. And the number one seed in the East was Philadelphia. Joel Embiid was playing through with a partially torn meniscus during the NBA playoffs and the Lakers lost all of their star players and that was the end of their season. So injuries happen to everyone in the playoffs and it's now happening again because an NBA season or sorry, the NBA playoffs can be the equivalent of a third of an NBA season. And we've seen players go through dozens and dozens of injuries 
during the stretch of a season, especially at the end when their bodies are already worn down, which is why people only play like 60 to 70 games a year now. The bodies break down by the time you get to the playoffs. And the soft tissue injuries, which is what Devin Booker's is a joint injury, and uh, Chris Middleton's is a soft tissue injury. Luka Doncic is a joint, or I can't remember. Luka Doncic is uh, a calf, so it's a muscle injury. The soft tissue muscle injuries, and then in Devin Booker's case, it's a joint. But those injuries are ones that are injuries over long stretches of the season. And yes, it's going to impact playoff series. Luka Doncic, it's a massive impact on their playoff series because we talked about on Tuesday, like imagine if Luka Doncic had stayed healthy last year and this year. It would have been conference finals run last year, at least for the Mad- for the Mavericks. Plus this year, they would have made the second round by beating Utah and now could have possibly matched up against the Devin Booker-less Phoenix Suns team, or at least an 80% healthy Devin Booker. And... This is the thing that sucks is that it changes the outcomes of playoff series like this. It's interesting in this particular instance, because I assume by the time many or some of you are listening to this, someone else is battling an injury. This is just how the NBA playoffs work sometimes is that the healthiest teams all like uh, Tom Haberstroh did a great piece last year about how every champion you can go back 30 years has an asterisk attached to it, or 20 years, I think he went, 20 years, you can find an asterisk attached to every championship. And what's interesting about these two, specifically to Booker and Middleton, is it takes out the two teams that we could have pointed to and said, well, there's a lot of parity right now, but those two are the ones at the top. And it's super fascinating that we've taken that and adjusted the the series in both of those, like beyond the first round. The first round, Milwaukee and Phoenix will be able to win without Giannis and Devin Booker. Or sorry, without Middleton and Devin Booker. Without Giannis, that changes the math. But without Chris Middleton, without Devin Booker, they're going to be fine. Um, New Orleans can push it a little longer than we think, but even a team led by CP3 and DeAndre Ayton and Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson, who went to the finals last season, they'll be good enough to beat New Orleans. Phoenix arguably has two players on their team better than anyone on New Orleans, and that's no disrespect to CJ McCollum or Brandon Ingram or Jonas Valanciunas. Fine players, like we said on Tuesday. If that's the core of your team, this is the best version of them. And Phoenix would still, if you take away, if you take away Devin Booker, Phoenix is still a five seed in the West, and New Orleans is barely an eight seed, so they'll be fine. Milwaukee's going to be just fine. Demar Derozan's not going to go for forty-one points again in the series, and if he does, the series might go six. It also might not go six. They can replace Chris Middleton. Not great. Not as well if they play Brooklyn or Boston in the next round, but they can get by this one. It just makes it so that the whole thing has parity now if you're going to remove Devin Booker or remove a fully healthy Devin Booker and a fully healthy Chris Middleton from the equation. It's changing the math in these playoff series a little bit, especially for the two teams that we said coming into the playoffs. Like, universally agree those were the two best teams going into the playoffs not totally universally but almost universally agree those are the two best teams going into the playoffs and now you've taken away major elements of their team without removing them from other teams also you removed one from dallas which sucks but utah is still relatively healthy warriors steph curry's coming back from injury but at least is playing at this point um memphis relatively healthy and just losing to minnesota uh, the other teams, you know, the Nets, the Celtics, even though the Celtics don't have Robert Williams remarkably healthy, 
you know, it's just how it works. By the way, 20-point Timberwolf lead. Oh, 20-point lead. The Ant-Man. Oh, the Ant-Man. Oh, my gosh. Minnesota. The Timber Pups just might do it. Memphis was a fraud. Possibly gotta love the Timber Pups. I'm falling in love with a basketball team all over again. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful basketball team. The Timber Pups, they just might do it. How fun is that? All right, let's talk to our friend Blake Jude from Stripe, Hype, Cincy, our NFL draft analyst, about the beginnings of draft week. That sound means that this is Kyle from the future, joining you about four hours after recording this here fine podcast, A Block, of which you just listened to. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, the Timber Pups, who I'm falling in love with over this past week, they blew a 26-point lead at home, and they did it in, like, five minutes? I don't understand how this happened. Memphis went on a 21-0 run, took the lead with, like, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Mind you, they were up 26 with about... Seven minutes to go in the third quarter. And in 12 minutes, overtook the lead and then won by nine points. In the second half, after the incredible run that Minnesota went on, the Grizzlies outscored the Timberwolves to end this basketball game by a whopping total of 60 to 25 60 25 the Grizzlies outscored Minnesota to end the basketball game Minnesota was up 26 points and they just absolutely fell apart again I don't understand how any of this happened but the Timber Pups got outscored 60 to 25 after I said that Minnesota had a chance to win the series. Because I said originally when the series started that they were going to go down 3 1. Maybe they lose in 5. Maybe they lose in 6. Maybe they pull off a miraculous game 7 because Memphis chokes. And I was right. I I did I broke the number one rule of basketball, which is don't ever go back on your pick. It only makes you wrong more than once. I just didn't have the Timber Pups blowing a 26-point lead in less than a quarter and losing by nearly double digits. Just didn't have that on the bingo card for the Ant-Man, Cat, D-Lo. Didn't think it would happen. This has been Kyle from the future in a state of shock and delirium.
This show is presented by Athletic Greens. We've told you about Athletic Greens before. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to get your body right. Athletic Greens is one scoop in a cup of water every day, and that's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D. That's 365 days worth of Athletic Greens. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can also use the link in the description to this episode. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's going on? Uh, yes, welcome, welcome back. How are you feeling? We're almost going to Vegas. Stressed, but pretty good at the same time. I have had the craziest week this week. All right? It's been a wild week. I've been trying to get packed, trying to figure out everything. Uh, of course, trying to get updated on all these prospects and stuff. But uh, overall, it's been a good week. Just a really busy week at the same time. I'm ready to have these next. We're I'm, I'm off today, of course, uh, from work. I have a couple more days. I'm going to be off five straight days to go to Vegas. So I'm super excited for that. I'm yeah, ready. let's go. Draft week is almost here. I guess this is the unofficial start of draft week because we always record a shit ton of stuff during draft week. But this is the unofficial start of draft week. Um, so... I, I have a funny story that popped off in the last like week or so where um, I, I, you know, the, the pandemic, uh, even though people are testing positive for COVID again, the pandemic's kind of faded. So like I have a bunch of shit that I'm doing now. And so like last year I threw myself way into NFL draft stuff. And this year I just like don't have the time to follow sports <laughs> as much. And I didn't realize until like two days ago that the saints traded a, for a second first round pick. I, yeah. I just missed that for like a week plus straight. I just missed that the Saints all of a sudden had two first round picks now. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think it's I think it's become pretty clear that the Saints are going all in for a quarterback and uh, very exciting. But yeah, it came out of nowhere, honestly. And I, I kind of feel the same way because um, you, you kind of forget that Eagles had three first round picks this year. So they had a lot and they were going to be willing to trade one of those, I think, for maybe some future picks. So the Eagles... Eagles end up getting a, another first round pick next year in exchange for uh, basically a, a, their pick this year, along with a bunch of other picks. It was a, it was a big trade, um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. The Saints are now going to have uh, two first round picks, and it's very very likely that we're going to see another draft trade here coming up soon with the Saints as well, going maybe even higher uh, into the draft, maybe even top ten here for a quarterback. Um, so it really kind of feels like the Saints are. Uh, trying to go all in they're trying to find the next guy to uh eventually replace drew Brees. of course he's been retired for forever now but they need that new guy uh and i think they're going to be trying to go for it this year which i'm i'm pretty excited to see that's gonna be one thing i'm going to really watch come draft night i really want to see what the saints do with those picks and probably go out and, and try to get a new offense okay uh this is an interesting part about this because remember when Everyone got pissy because the Eagles tanked that last game of the season on Sunday night football in 2020. Yeah. The Eagles just turned that into three first round picks and they made the playoffs last year. Like, yep. 
I now the the eagle like as fluky as the Steelers was making the playoffs because it required like the Colts to lose to the Jaguars and the Raiders. Like the Eagles were just lucky in getting into the playoffs where Philadelphia was like eight and one against teams that had worse than a winning record. So like they were just really lucky (laughs) against bad teams this year. So Philadelphia sucked last year. They weren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. And yet like that one decision to tank that game with Doug Peterson's last ride as coach of the team ended up getting them the confidence to give up a first round pick for Carson Wentz and having the six pick got them an extra first round pick for trading down from six to 12 so they could get Devonta Smith and the Dolphins could get Jalen Waddle, which like, do you know if Jalen Waddle is better than Devonta Smith? Like, I, I think he is, but it's not that far apart to suggest that it's, I mean, I, it, it would, it's still it's worth it, in my opinion, for the Eagles to trade down in that case. I think that made more sense, right? Like, I would yeah, they just got Jim like a bonus first round pick and they just keep kicking it down the road. They're just like, yeah, we'll take it next right. year. We'll take it next year. We'll take it next year. They just keep kicking this pick down the road. And they'll all, in, instead of being like uh, the, the Pelicans in the NBA or like the Miami Dolphins who just like wasted all their draft picks, like they're just keep kicking it down the road so that we always have an extra draft pick just in case. Right. If, if you ask me whether I have Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith in a first round pick, I'm, I'm probably uh, you know picking the latter. So I definitely prefer uh, the Eagles side of that shade. It was, it was definitely a, a great – I think it has been a great couple of offseason for the Eagles. They went from a team that I think a lot of us expected to be in rebuilding mode for years to now being a team that – don't look now, but they could be making the playoffs again next year for two years in a row with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, which is an unreal to imagine that that's happening. But it's, it's, it, it looks like that's going to happen possibly if they're able to hit on these picks. Yeah, so so usually I organize teams by tiers, usually, and that's like the easiest. So, some numbers nerd, I really wish I could give them credit because I cite it all the time, but basically they figured out through like 45 years of NFL data that usually it's about five to six great teams, eight to 10 above average teams, 10 to 12 below average teams, and then six tanking teams like every year in the NFL. Like that's kind of how it, the, the talent pool breaks out. And so the Eagles were kind of in that like second tier, but they also made the playoffs because they won a bunch of one possession games. And I thought they were going to be tanking. So you're right. Like the Eagles did an awesome job for themselves. The problem is I can't tell if the Eagles are a really well-run organization or a really poorly run organization. So either they're going to like turn this into a major victory or they're going to like hold on to Jalen Hurts for four years until they realize Jalen Hurts can't throw for shit. Yeah, I'm waiting for all to be ruined for Philadelphia. It kind of seems too too good to be true, you know? You kind of get that feeling with Philadelphia right now. It's like, wow, this really panned out way better than what it probably should have. So it's bound to fall apart eventually. I'm just waiting for that to happen. I, I really I don't know. That, like, I mean, they, they could trade a first-rounder for, like, A.J. Brown or Debo Samuel right now. Like, if you told me yeah. you could turn Devonta Smith or like Jalen Waddle in a third round pick into Devonta Smith and Debo Samuel, that'd be a pretty cool victory for them. Well, yeah, if that happens, and I mean, we're talking about the Eagles being maybe even probably the favorites to win the East <laughs> this year in the NFC. I don't, I'm not too sure if that's exactly, I don't know. The Cowboys are up there as well, but I do think the Eagles have a good argument at that point if you're able to get Debo Samuel. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, it, it feels like to me the Eagles have, are, a team that is always filled with controversy. We, we know they had a big problem this year with not running the ball with their running backs like Miles Sanders is kind of ruining his development. 
But at the same time, they're still finding a way to be able to win games with poor cornerback play, um, you know, poor linebacker play, all things considered. Uh, I would say relatively poor quarterback play, uh, not much of a run game. Like they're just they're just somehow winning these games, like you said. So we really don't know how. There's a lot of holes to this team still, I think, but they're, they're finding ways, and that, that's been pretty impressive so far. So I, I do I do want to credit Jalen Hurts. That's like poor quarterback play, but he compared to what how most quarterbacks have, are are going to be able to do with a team like the Eagles, he's definitely taking them further than what I thought they would have been. Um, so I want to give credit to to Hurts for doing that, but I do think that you look at the needs at corner, linebacker. Uh, wide receiver still running back. There's still a lot of different places that need upgraded right now. There's still a lot of needs on this Eagles team. And, and unless those, those are going to be filled, there's still a team that I think is not going to be getting anywhere close wild card, uh, maybe appearance here and there. Yeah. I want to use your draft expertise because I kind of wasted it the last time you were on the podcast, but I do want to stick on this because like Jalen Hurts is a fine quarterback and Jalen Hurts has the same thing as Lamar Jackson, where like he is your RB one in the offense. The problem is he like had the same completion percentage as like drew Locke and Geno Smith. So that's the part where it's like, yeah, there was a reason Jalen hurts wasn't taken at the top of the draft. It's because he was never expected to even get drafted. Like when he was at Alabama, everyone's like, Oh, he's awesome. He's better than like Blake Sims who, um, or what's God, what's the name? There, there's a guy who won an, oh, Jake Coker. Jake Coker won a national championship <laughs> at Alabama, and he's now a, he's a um, insurance salesman in the Alabama area. That is a, that is a real thing that exists. A, a national champion winning quarterback this decade at Alabama sells insurance. Um, <laughs> he's like 25 years old. It's ridiculous. Um, like Jalen Hurts was better than those guys. But like he was like not thought of as a draft prospect at all until the Oklahoma season. And even then he was like being drafted in the middle of the second round was thought to be a stretch on Jalen Hurts. So I right. think at a certain point, either everyone was wrong about Jalen Hurts or eventually it's going to catch up where it's like he's a serviceable backup in the NFL. Like he's kind Why? of like Gardner Minshew to a certain extent. You know, we heard we hear we hear jokes about Lamar Jackson all the time. But if you remember during the draft process, there were actually a lot of arguments saying that Jalen Hurts should be a running back, right? Like we actually saw a lot of arguments saying that that's probably where he's better off being the running back. So, uh, you know, there were a lot of cases where he might not even have been considered a quarterback on some teams' boards next level, which is insane to think about. But the Eagles trust him. Uh, I graded that pick very poorly. I was not a fan of Jalen Hurts' pick at the time, but I will admit that's this has been a an absolute steal of a pick for the Eagles. I mean. At the least, you get an elite-level backup quarterback, in my opinion. You're talking about the future Jacoby Brissett, possibly, right now. I think that's worth a second-round pick in my eyes. So uh, I'm really impressed with what, with what we've seen from Jalen Hurts so far. I think even if he's not a starter in the future for the Eagles, this is still a guy that you could probably put in some packages to be able to run plays with as a potential you know, running, running, uh, a running quarterback, a guy that can maybe run some read options, maybe make some uh, quarterback runs. I think he could be a very, very dangerous red zone. Um, we saw with the the Panthers and Cam Newton, maybe. So, um, you know, I, I really do think that all things considered, this has been a great, great, successful career for Jalen Hurts. And I think that, though, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm probably hoping that they eventually switch quarterback in the future. I do think all things considered, Jalen Hurts has been quite impressive. Yeah, it's not terrible. <laughs> That's the best I can say about Jalen Hurts. It's not terrible. The difference is like one, Lamar Jackson is a slightly better athlete than him. Like Lamar Jackson is an elite athlete among athletes. And two, like Lamar Jackson can actually kind of throw the football well. <laughs> like we don't give him credit as a passer enough. But of course, there's a difference between Lamar and Jalen Hurts. They just both fit the stereotypes of 
they're the two best running quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, I want to ask you about Debo also before we do draft stuff, because I find it interesting how people have kind of slandered him in the past couple days because he wants to be a true wide receiver instead of an RB wide receiver. Like he would rather decrease value potentially, even though I don't think it decreases value because he takes less hits, et cetera. Like I, it's interesting that people look at it as like, what is wrong with him? Because he doesn't want to be an RB wide receiver. When I look at it, I'm like, I don't know if it's the best thing for his career. It just seems like a reasonable request, especially given how large the true wide receiver dollar values are right now. And, you know, it seems like from Tom Pelissero reporting that he wants to do it kind of to like extend his career because we've seen how like running backs bodies get destroyed with the number of carries that they get. Right. Yeah. Um, I I really, I, I, again, I kind of agree with you. I I don't see why people would want to, be upset about Debo Samuel being a, a true wide receiver. I think what you saw last year, I mean, Debo's not going to complain getting the getting the ball. You know, he's not going to complain one bit. So what you saw from the 49ers last year, you can still do that with Debo. Uh, he can still be an effective wide receiver, whether it's split out wide, whether it's as a running back, maybe even lined up in the, as a tight end, like sometimes it's like, like how he did last year a little bit. So, I mean, he can really get the ball in any way possible and be able to use as a versatile different player on your team. But even as a true wide receiver, I would say based off of what we saw last season, he's still one of the better wide receivers in the league. So I'm not sure why teams or fans would be upset about that. I really think that um, his value hasn't really changed based off of what he says. I think if he's able to get the ball in his hands, he's going to be a very effective wide receiver no matter how uh, he lines up or how he plays. So I do think Debo Samuel is in a great position to be an, an elite-level player for whoever's able to land him. Okay, I have a fun quiz question for you here because we seem to be kind of on the same gist there. Also, um, I made it. This is just something that's funny to me that I wanted to bring up. I made a joke a few weeks ago about the Jets who were like, they tried to get Tyreek Hill, they tried to get Devontae Adams, they tried to get uh, DeAndre Hopkins, they tried to get AJ Brown, they tried to get Debo Samuel, they tried to get DK Metcalf. Like they literally like went down the list of wide receivers and tried to see who they could get. And then I joked that they were going to end up with the Carson Wentz of wide receivers, which is Jarvis Landry. And (laughs) they can't even get Jarvis Landry because I saw Jarvis Landry isn't even interested in going to the Jets. I'm like, oh, God, if you're that team, you've got like no chance. You've got no chance if if you can't trade for any of the elite wide receivers and you can't sign any of the non below average ones. You've got literally no chance in free agency or no chance at like turning this thing around, which sucks for Zach Wilson. But I, yeah, I can't believe how the wide receiver markets changed like that. But, but it's kind of it's, in, in a, to a certain extent, it's kind of the Jets' fault. They showed absolutely no sign of being anything close to being a an okay franchise, right? Like if I'm a player and I'm looking at the New York Jets, I'm not, I'm not willing to go there. I would rather go to a, a better team for a, maybe a million dollars less than the Jets. Honestly, I would. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just, that's just how I kind of see it. Um, Zach Wilson is a, you know, I, I like him as a quarterback prospect. I think he can be very good, but is he going to be exciting? Like how people saw Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, any guy like that? Absolutely not. Not even Trevor Lawrence, I think. Um, so I, I really think that, you know, there's not really any excitement to the Jets right now. What you have to do is you have to find players in the draft that are going to excite the team. You have to get guys that are going to be able to step up and be elite-level players for your roster. 
and create excitement in that way. So maybe not Zach Wilson, but maybe a guy that you get the draft this year can turn into a high level prospect. The teams are, the players are looking at like, you know what? I want to play with Garrett Wilson, or I want to play with Kayvon Thibodeau, or I want to play with Trayvon Walker. One of those guys, if, you, if you're able to land one of those elite level guys and be able to use them on your roster, I really think that, um, that can create scenarios where maybe players like AJ Brown or Debo Samuel want to actually go there because um, maybe they start actually winning games. <laughs> it worked for Buffalo. It worked for Cleveland. You just got to break right. the cycle with one good, one good hire, one good general manager, one good coach that you can break the cycle. And somehow the new bills owners got it on their second try, which is pretty cool for them. Um, here's the fun quiz question I have of the top 10 highest paid wide receivers in the NFL right now by average annual value. How many of them signed a contract extension this off season or signed a contract this off season of the 10 highest paid wide receivers? Ooh. Okay. Um, let's, let's think off the top of my head. I know Diggs, Hill, uh, Adams all got paid. Um, trying to think who else would be on that list uh deandre hopkins should be on that list but he didn't get an extension to my knowledge uh dj moore is he in the top 10 maybe uh who else um amari cooper probably with the browns that's five maybe brandon cooks uh, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say five. I think five is a safe guess. So if you count Amari Cooper, which was technically a trade, so he didn't sign a new contract, oh, but oh. no, no, no. Did he? Huh? I thought, I thought he signed like a new four year deal. Am I crazy? I don't think so. I think it's still three years, 60 million left on his deal. I think it's the oh, same okay. one as the Cowboys deal. It's just, they took all of his contract. Anyways, we can count that one. Cause it adds to the point. It's funnier if we count that. If we count Amari Cooper, it is eight. Oh my God. Who else? I was at so six, right? Here are the top 10 highest paid wide receivers right now in the NFL Tyree Kill, which, you know, you got that trade sign. Devontae Adams, Hopkins, who didn't sign an extension. Right. Stephon Diggs, DJ Moore is five. Yep. Keenan Allen is six. He did not. Okay. Seven is Christian Kirk. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot Christian Kirk is the seventh highest paid receiver in the league. <laughs> yeah. Christian Kirk is the seventh highest paid wide receiver in the league. Um, higher than Michael Thomas. Uh, then a tie for eighth, ninth, and tenth. Amari Cooper, Mike Williams. Yeah. Okay. And the last one is Chris Godwin. Oh my God. It's funny because one of those are just not like even close to the others. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it was the Jaguars tax. And then all of a sudden, see, I did a podcast immediately after talking about the Jaguars tax, which is basically like a phrase of if the same thing I was talking about with the Jets, if no one is willing to go to your team, you have to pay a premium to get these guys to come sign up for your team. And at least for the Jets and Jaguars, you at least have the possibility of a quarterback to be alluring. Um I didn't think that that would reset the entire wide receiver market across the entire NFL and lead to like five of the 15 best wide receivers to get traded. Like I didn't think Christian Kirk was like the domino that would like create this chain reaction of the entire wide receiver market has exploded in like a month. Yeah. Uh, it, that, 
that 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 move will be talked about for years. I think because we're we're gonna look back on that and think like, what happens if the Jaguars did not pay Christian Kirk a hundred million dollars <laughs> to be a wide receiver? Like that well, was unreal. It's interesting because I think that was the one that like tipped it over the edge. But I think the thing before that is what happens Michael. if Bill O'Brien doesn't trade oh. DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals? Because I think that kind of started the chain reaction. Because like going into this year, it was like. Um, the second highest paid receiver I think on here was Keenan Allen and Keenan Allen was at like 20 million. I guess Diggs was kind of around there too. Diggs was around 2021. 20, um, and Hopkins was like 27 and a half. Like Deandre Hopkins was the highest paid wide receiver by like $7 million. And that was what the, he negotiated with the Cardinals. So I think if Deandre, cause like we said back in 2020, like when has a player ever like Deandre Hopkins been available for trade? Like, in your prime, I guess Odell kind of had it when he got traded from the Browns, but like wide receiver in their prime, universally regarded as one of the two best receivers in the NFL gets traded. Like right. Hopkins got like that contract that made him like 7 million higher than the next closest person. Yeah, that, that, that is very true. And also it affects it to where maybe, maybe if the Cardinals ended up not getting DeAndre Hopkins, maybe they re-signed Christian Kirk. Right, and maybe they sign him to a smaller deal in the long run as well. So you can you really think about that in multiple different ways. Had Bill O'Brien not traded DeAndre Hopkins, or had they not had beef, uh, none of this would end up happening, which is crazy to think about. But that's that's the butterfly effect in the NFL, and it's very very fascinating to see how all that works out. Oh, combined with the butterfly effect that Kyler Murray really wanted the Cardinals to draft Ceedee Lamb instead of Isaiah Simmons. Imagine if they did that in 2020, right after. And they might have. And they not had to, had they not gotten uh, had they not been trying to get for DeAndre go for John Hopkins as well. That's yeah, that's a good point. They still could have done it. Like Hopkins was traded like a month and a half before the draft. They still could have done it. And oh my god, that Cardinals offense would just be stupid good if they had C.D. Lamb and DeAndre Hopkins. Oh my god, it would be st- yeah. That that imagine that happens and you all of a sudden have C.D. Lamb and DeAndre Hopkins on the same team. That would be. That would be a completely. We'd be talking about Kyle Murray in a completely different light, I think. Right? He might. Yeah, he, he might actually be an MVP contender, a top ten consensus quarterback. Had they gotten those two guys, it's just. I'm not saying that Christian Kirk and Rondale Moore and guys like that aren't great weapons, but you know they they definitely haven't done Kyle Murray many favors either, right? So it's been a lot of Kyle Murray having to create for himself. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't been able to be healthy, of course. We haven't really seen Kyler have a very reliable weapon in a minute, so. Maybe if they maybe if they had gotten CD Lamb, all that changes, and all of a sudden we we see uh, Christian Kirk on an entirely different team, probably an entirely different player, uh, and we see maybe the Cardinals become you know even maybe even Super Bowl contenders. Who knows? At the very least, it would have been fun. It would have been so much fun. It's like what the Cowboys had been over the past few years. Like the Cowboys had a ceiling that prevented them. Like. We talked about the Eagles earlier. I don't know why people are still like disrespecting the Cowboys and saying like, I don't know, the Eagles or Washington could win that division. I'm like, the Eagles and Washington are trash and the Cowboys are so good. I don't understand why people are doing that. But still, like there was a ceiling there, but at least the Cowboys like threw the ball 55 times a game and had like 400 yards of offense. Even if they right. couldn't really stop people, at least it was fun to watch the Cowboys offense. Yeah, well, they just won by outscoring their opponents, right? Like, they had three yeah, elite it's the, it, for years, it was the old Falcons thing that I said, which is 350 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Both teams are going to score in the 30s, and it's a coin toss who's going to win, and you'll win about half your games. Right. Uh, you know, the Falcons are trying to be a little bit different from that. Of course, they don't really have the weapons to be like that anyways. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
that that would have been that would have been a really cool tactic. How they just went went all in on offense, which I think I honestly, if, if I'm a GM and I'm trying to build a team around my quarterback, I always want to go offense first. I'm getting a stacked offense before I'm even touching defense. At least in my opinion, want to get a good offensive line for your for your quarterback, a good wide receiver, maybe a solid running back as well to be able to be a uh, a reliable guy, a reliable safety blanket for your team. So I'm always worrying about the offense first around a quarterback, and that's what kind of Dallas and what we. I guess maybe you're saying maybe Cardinals should have done uh, is build an entire offense. And then the next season, what about the defense? How Dallas did, of course, getting Michael Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, guys like that. They were about defense after they got the offense, which I, I thought was uh, a smart move. Well, so how do you think that's changed like in regards to the draft? Because when I said the Falcons thing, I meant like the Falcons, like when uh, like Dirk Cutter and Sarkeesian were their offensive coordinators, they were doing that. Now that now they're just bad and boring. And if you're going to be bad, right. at least be at least be fun. Now they're just bad and boring. And it, it sucks. But anyways, um, how do you feel like that changes the draft strategy? Because I know like if we went back and looked at all the receivers that get drafted early now, like back in like the, the 2010 to 2018 range, like all the best receivers were like fifth round, fifth round, late first for DeAndre Hopkins. You know, like most of the receivers were take Keenan Allen, third round pick. Like it was all these like weird, obscure guys turned into stars. And now there's like a premium on the wide receiver position where not only are they getting drafted in the first round, but teams are trading valuable first round picks to try and get wide receivers. It's like all of a sudden becoming close to the second most valuable position in the NFL behind like quarterback and edge rusher. Yeah. What, what, what we're seeing is we're seeing guys like CD lamb, just Jefferson, Jamar chase, Jalen Waddle. The, all of these wide receivers are painting out all of them are they're, all finding ways to be successful, even ones that maybe were even seen as, um, you know, not good, great picks at the time. You know, I, I still think a couple of them have been able to pan out successfully. Um, we're starting to see now, I think, a point where receivers might be getting overdrafted at this point. We're seeing a lot of hype with, with Garrett Wilson going to the Falcons and pick eight, which I know I like Garrett Wilson. We talked about him earlier as so a second wide receiver in the class, but I, I don't think he's worth the eighth overall pick in this draft. And I think. Like you said, you know, we, we always can kind of consider in the past, I always consider a quarterback, edge rusher, and offensive tackle to be those most important positions in football. Wide receiver, uh, well, I'm sorry, I would say quarterback, left tackle, edge, corner, wide receiver are the top five in order, right? But we mm-hmm. might be getting a good argument to be saying that maybe wide receiver is now all of a sudden third or maybe – Maybe even second, I would say probably third because I still think edge rusher is so important in the league now. But I think you're arguing a, a good point where if you have a successful wide receiver like a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson, all of a sudden you're a team that's got a high-powered offense. And that's that's scary for a lot of different NFL teams because this is a new age where corners really can't guard anyone, right? Like you can only just stop someone. You can't really shut them down like how they could in the past with Darrell Revis and guys like that. Um, you know, even the best like Jalen Ramsey, we saw get absolutely just toasted in the Super Bowl. So I, I really think that this is a new age where everyone wants a great wide receivers because they know that their corners aren't going to be able to guard them. Yeah. And, and that part's interesting. I wonder if, because the other thing that we've learned about the wide receiver position, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is like you need to have a quarter, like at least a base level good quarterback. And I think there's now more base level good quarterbacks than there's ever been before that wide receivers are able to explode in that way. Like, Kirk Cousins is is a tier three quarterback, 
but like tier three quarterbacks back in the day were like Rex Grossman. It's like, that's not, right. it's, it's not a great bar to hit, but like Kirk Cousins has been a starter in the NFL for like 12 years out of being like the 13th or 14th best quarterback in the NFL. And it's like, he's made now what, I mean, not that Kirk Cousins makes these, but like three different wide receivers have become hall of fame. Good through the Minnesota Vikings. And yeah. it only like it required case Keenum, and it required a base level good of Kirk Cousins to get there. I think that's kind of interesting how that's changed. And the Vikings are obviously an exception because they've had so many great wide receivers. It's just interesting that like half the teams have at least a base level good quarterback at this point. And I feel like that's might be changing the math because like 10, 15 years ago, there's only like six really good quarterbacks at one time or six to eight. Very, very true. And we're starting to see now where, you know, I'm, I mean, you, I think you need an elite quarterback to be able to make a Super Bowl. But I, I also think that there's an argument to be made that you see guys like that. You see teams like the 49ers, for example, Debo Samuel is a perfect example. They didn't have a good quarterback at all, right? But they're still in the playoffs and they're in the NFC Championship just because of Debo Samuel and George Kittle, right? So, I mean, you can even argue that with some players, you don't need an elite quarterback to be great. You don't even need... You know, you, you don't even need a Kirk Cousins type. You just need a Jimmy Garoppolo, you know? So, I mean, there are arguments to be made that maybe a great wide receiver can negate the need for a great quarterback. And I think it's why we're kind of seeing a lot of teams like the Miami Dolphins and the Las Vegas Raiders now go all in on Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams because they know that maybe Derek Carr and Tua Tagovailoa can actually lead them to an NFC championship or AFC championship uh, with a with a, um, with a a great wide receiver because that wide receiver is so good that they just carry him. Yeah, I think the part that I feel like those teams are going to fail is that I feel like the 49ers were such an exception. Like, the only close... Debo played everywhere. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. And the other one we didn't even mention was maybe the greatest season ever from a left tackle in Trent Williams. Like, Trent Williams last year had, like, the highest grade. There were pro football focus people articulating Trent Williams should win MVP for how, like, much he dominated his position last year. And Kyle Juszczyk technically made a Pro Bowl, but still. They technically had four Pro Bowlers on offense, if you count Kyle Juszczyk. And... The thing that I think is difficult is I can't think of a second example similar to San Francisco. I think San Francisco has been this weird one exception over the past like three years or four years. You could say like one year, Jimmy G tore his ACL and 2020 stunk because they all got injured. But like this run for the past four years for San Francisco feels like such an exception because they've had so many great players many like a bunch of them on their rookie deals but they've just had so much great talent at the top end filtered in with they were just a quarterback away from being like a dynastic team of the last four years yeah i, I think you're gonna argue maybe joe and waddle with the dolphins is another probably example of that maybe to a lesser degree because we only saw it for one season of course we saw his success even with two at quarterback they just got him the ball wherever they could right and they had to make plays and I think mm-hmm. it's what we're going to see a lot from both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle with the Dolphins. I think we're going to see that a lot more with uh, Devontae Adams and the Raiders. Just get him the ball and let him make plays, right? I think that's what you kind of want from the, your wide receivers. I think that's why everyone is going to be so adamant on uh, uh, getting Debo Samuel because you don't need a quarterback at all, really, with Debo Samuel, right? We just saw with the 49ers. We know that it, you just get him the ball and he's going to be able to make plays. So um, we're seeing a – what we're seeing, I think, uh, what I should say is we're seeing a great – Yak receiver league, right? We yards after catch, 
Get him the mm-hmm. ball. Let him make plays. They're going to make plays, right? Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, um, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. All of these guys, put the ball in their hands. Let them make plays. They're going to score you touchdowns. It's just going to happen. Who – I'm kind of brainstorming this in my head. Who is the team, like, the past – say, like, four to five years ballpark. Like, it can be around that. But, like, who's the team – who's like second to the 49ers of like, we universally agree they don't have a franchise quarterback and yet they've still been like pretty competitive because Cleveland comes to mind, but Baker Mayfield was actually pretty good in his third season. Like he wasn't great, but he was at least pretty good as a quarterback. Like Baker Mayfield is as good as Jimmy Garoppolo. If I'm doing like the math on that, um, I guess the Steelers is the one that comes to mind for me. Like the Steelers are the next closest thing. And even they like made two playoffs and didn't win a playoff game while like San Francisco made a Super Bowl and like was a Ward dropped interception away or Tart dropped interception away from making another Super Bowl. It's- yeah. I, I, I would, I would say the Colts are definitely one of those teams as well. Maybe you can argue. Yeah. The Colts are interesting too. And they're in a similar camp where like missed playoffs, like post Andrew Luck's retirement, they're now missed playoffs, seven seed coulda, shoulda, woulda beat Buffalo in that wild card game. If they had not like gone over four at the goal line <laughs> um, and Rodrigo missed a field goal also in there, they like left like 17 points on the board in that game. Um, and then last year should have made the playoffs, but missed the playoffs. So I guess, yeah, I guess the Colts are a pretty good one too. Colts, but those are teams that we think of are like above average to average. Like the 49ers have been close to elite multiple right. seasons of the past yeah. like three to four years, which is interesting. It's why I think it's not going to work out for, especially Miami. I think it's not going to, now if Miami gets Tom Brady <laughs> next season, because Tom Brady's a free agent, wants to be the general manager of the Dolphins, then that, you know, that changes the math a little bit. But, you know, I, I think it it's not going to work out unless Tua makes like a major leap as a quarterback, which is possible, just unlikely. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's just unlikely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you're probably right. I think that the 49ers just have such an interesting way of going about things as a franchise. Uh, I, I really want to like give credit to their front office and what they've done. They've been able to find they're one of the few teams in the NFL that have found a way to win without doing what every other team's doing. Right. Like they don't. They haven't really gone for a quarterback. They haven't really gone for an elite-level running back. What they've done is they built the offensive line. They, they got Trent Williams, of course. They they value no running backs at all, right? They have seven different running backs <laughs> and go for 100 yards a year, right? So I've seen like seven it. in the last three years do it. I'm trying to, I used to know them by name, but I, I've seen seven do it in the last three years. Right. So they haven't really valued running back. They've just been the average-level running backs. They really have only relied on three weapons, you know, lately, um, Brandon, Ayuk, Nebo Samuel and George Kittle are really the only like great weapons on that team. Right. So they haven't really valued, uh, you know, the third wide receiver or the third option at wide receiver <coughs> much at all, much at all, let alone the second option with Brandon, Ayuk. excuse me. Um, and I think what they've really done is they, they've built the defensive line really, really well, of course, right. Getting Nick, guys like Nick Bosa, um, you know, Eric Armstead, guys like that who have been high level players for their team. Uh, they've really, really focused on getting those guys in, and I've been able to build a great defensive line because of that and, and put pressure on the quarterback and force teams to make turnovers. I got six 49ers running backs that I remember who have gone for at least 100 yards in a game in the last three years. I think there's a seventh. I just don't remember who it is. I got 
Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Matt Breida, Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> Jamichael Hasty. Oh, that's right. Jamichael Hasty also did that. Um, everyone except Trey Sermon just gets 100 yards in that offense. <laughs> yep. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty much. San Francisco is interesting in that way because you're right, they do it differently. And now they're they're actually committing to the quarterback, which I find so fascinating. Like they went all in on if we're going to re-sign all of these star players, we need to get the quarterback cheap. And then they're not playing the cheap quarterback. I mean, I I would have played Trey Lance starting week one last year, and I've, I've been on that island all the way through. And now they're going to at least commit to him. Like they're, they're not going to be dumb and be like, well, I guess we'll do Jimmy again for the time being. Like they're at least going to say Trey's the number one at this point. I'm just interested to see because it, it might work out. It might not. I'm just interested by the strategy of like, we have to get the quarterback cheap in order to try and win this. And they're like betting on their ability to evaluate talent of this guy's going to be special for four years and we're going to get him cheap so we can pay Trent Williams 40 million and George Kittle 15 a year and Nick Bosa 30 a year and Fred Warner 17 a year. And well, I guess not Debo anymore, but they were willing to pay Debo a bunch of money. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you make a great point. I think they want the rookie running the quarterback. They want a guy that can run the ball. Maybe this is a team offensively who has really relied on the short passing game and running the ball, right? Like they, they, they win within 10 yards uh, of the, of, of the field on offense. So I, I think that's, that's why they've gone mainly for guys like, um, you know, the, the running backs they have, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, you to catch guys. Um, you know, they're, they're going to make their, they're going to be trying to make the life of Trey Lance as easy as possible. I think Trey Lance is going to succeed um, in, in San Francisco. Now it's definitely a, well, it's definitely a longer story now that Debo Samuel is probably not going to be a 49er anymore. That changed some things, but I do think that you look at, you look at what they have built around uh, Trey Lance. I do think that he has the ability to have success. If they can get better receivers to, to match up with them. Yeah. And that's going to be an interesting thing that they figure out because Debo is an essential part to the offense. And, you know, I, as much as we're talking about whether Kyler Murray has the leverage to get out of Arizona or took uh, Devonte Adams two years, I don't think Debo's got the leverage. I think they're going to kind of tell Debo to pound sand on this one. And I don't think it's going to work out super well for Debo. Um, but it's interesting if someone, if someone like the jets is willing to sweep them off their feet and give them all bunch of draft picks and stuff, it would be interesting to see how that works out. But yeah, I, I don't think they, they accounted for Christian Kirk destroying the wide receiver market this off season. And you know, a reasonable request from Debo Samuel to not play running back anymore. I don't know if it's best for his career or not. It's just reasonable if that's what he wants to do at the very least. It's just doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't seem like the 49ers were prepared for this situation. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate for them because uh, this is a team that I think had the, has the star level to be great. They just need a better supporting cast, right? They need a secondary. They need um, a couple, you know, they need a more reliable quarterback. Of course, I think Trance can be that guy. Hopefully um, they just need a couple of extra pieces and they would have, they would have beaten the Rams. And they got that interception. Like we're talking about a team that could have been a Super Bowl winner this year. Um, so they were so close. It's a shame that you know, it's not going to work out with Debo Samuel and he's probably going to be gone after this season, which, which sucks. But uh um, I, I do still have faith that uh, the 49ers can figure it out. They can just get a good replacement, a wide receiver. Yeah. All right. I got to, I got to give you uh, some 
quiz here on prospects so that we can use your draft skills before this is uh, over at this point. So what can you give me on John Ridgeway? The defensive tackle from Arkansas. Um, John Ridgeway is a very solid prospect. I actually just adjusted his grade yesterday, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I just changed it, I believe. Let me find out my thing real quick. I don't know, actually. I might have not. Um, I know I was looking at him again, though. Um, he's at a 76.4 uh, now on my grade sheet, which I believe grades out to be a fourth, fifth, uh, I think probably a fourth round pick right now. Um, he's a nose tackle uh, for Arkansas. He's a big body, big, big guy um, there. Uh, I believe he's like 330 pounds, <laughs> right? So he's dude. Um, and he, he, I believe he played, um, he, he mainly played as like a, a main, like a, uh, run stopper a guy that can play in between the the one to, uh, the zero tech one type position and is I believe his position in Arkansas was just listed as womp. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I mean he he's he's going to be a primary run stopper for your team. He's going to be a guy that I think could um, come in. I don't think he's going to be a he's not your Jordan Davis type guy or even a Fedarian Mathis. He's not going to be a guy that can offer you upside in the pass run, you know, pass protection as well. But you're talking about a guy that can come in in like a three, four defense as an interior guy and being a, a reliable run software for your team. I do think it could work uh, for certain teams. He, he could eventually develop into being a first, second down run stopper. Um, he's not going to be playing on third down. He never should be playing on third down. So that's why I think he's got a limited feeling in terms of being a prospect. But I do think that he does have a lot of uh, fun to his game. I really, really think that if he's able to go to a three, four defense, he can be a pretty solid guy in the first and, first and second downs for your team. How do you feel about Jelani Woods? Big fan of Jelani Woods. I got, I got a lot to talk about with this guy. This guy's fun. Uh, you know, you, you watch his production at Virginia. You're not overly, uh, you know, impressed with him. Uh, he's got pretty solid hands. He's a pretty solid route runner. Does not pop out when it comes to, like, being a, a high-level athlete. But if you saw his combine, Jelani Woods is an athlete, bro. This guy could be a track star if he wanted to. Being a tight end and being this athletic is out of this world insane. I want to say his RAS was a 9.99, which is like, which basically means that there might be one tight end in, in the RA, RAS graded system that is higher than him, right? So this is one of the most athletic tight ends we were ever going to talk about in the draft. Um, this is, he's my fourth ranked tight end right now. I believe it's like an 83.9 or something like that. I have a third round grade on him. Um, I, I really think Jelani Woods can develop into a great tight end if he's able to go behind and play behind a more technically sound tight end. So this is rare. Normally my fourth ranked tight end would be a starter. There are guys behind him that I think will be starters. Um, I do think Jelani Woods needs to have time behind a better blocking tight end right now be able to develop because I don't think he's a great blocker. I think he mainly belongs as a slot kind of guy for your team to be a wide receiver uh, on the outside. But I do think if he can develop the ability to block and play more in the F, this is a guy that I think could be a very, very fun starter in the next level. He could really be one of the most underrated tight ends we're talking about in this class. Uh, he's a very controversial guy for a lot of teams, but I do think if he pans out, he will be, he is the highest ceiling out of any tight end in this class. I'll say that. Wow, that's good to know, considering it was just a random prospect draw out of the list. Um, what do you have on Tyreek Smith? Yeah, Ed Drescher from Ohio State. 
Uh, I think he's the best pass rusher on, on the Ohio State defense. And, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of Ohio State games. I actually watched almost every single one this year. Um, not an Ohio State fan, but I do watch their games and just try to, uh, you know, watch their prospects. They normally have some pretty solid guys. Um, this is a guy that does not get a lot of finishes. He doesn't get a lot of sacks on on paper. So you might not see it when you whenever you, like, watch him initially. Um, but this guy's getting a pressure – I would say once every, uh, once twice every every drive, right? Like this is a guy that's getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I think he has a lot of uh, very very solid moves to his game, very technically sound. I think um, not the most athletic guy, not the biggest guy either, which is why I think he has a bit of a knock on him right now. But you look at how he's able to pressure the quarterback; he just does it in ways that are are kind of impressive, right? Like, I mean, it, it definitely helps that you've got the like, Haskell Garrett next to him who can just maul in the middle. I think it does give him an advantage in a way, but uh, he's he, he finds ways to get to the quarterback and give them pressure. Not able to finish normally, but found ways to. So I do think he's going to be a very tractable player. I think uh, Tyreek Smith could go around four or five and be a very solid pick. Um, you're looking at him possibly being a sub guy on third down at edge rusher, probably giving a, being a guy that can get at pressure off the edge and allow maybe if the institute doesn't like to close the pocket, maybe allow a couple of sacks. I guess Ohio State is the local team where you are. I guess Kentucky's like, you know, University of Kentucky is pretty close. But I guess if you I guess Ohio State's professional football team is the Cincinnati Bengals by like a weird association. I guess that is technically true. So was, we What's really interesting is actually recently Cincinnati just hosted a uh, a big like indoor practice at Paul Brown Stadium for different players for different teams, right? So to get all the local colleges and stuff. So you get guys, you got guys from Ohio State like Jeremy Rucker, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith. They all went down there. Cincinnati players as well. We saw um, uh, James Cook, the safety, uh, who who went down there, I believe. Um, a couple other guys on the Cincinnati team that want to go visit and 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 play down there as well in practice, and then guys from Kentucky as well. We saw one of them at least, uh, um, the tight end. Uh, my name's leaving me right now. I'm, I'm really a Kentucky fan. How am I forgetting his name? <laughs> Justin. No, Ray. no. Justin oh Ray. no. Justin this Ray. was your best Kentucky team in like. 28 years yeah he didn't play a lot justin rig uh tight end uh was there i mean he, he played a solid amount i guess they didn't use a lot of tight end this year um yeah but justin rig is who i was thinking of uh went to go down there a couple of teams so right so cincinnati got a uh cincinnati Bengals got got to invite a lot of different teams a lot of different colleges from around to come up practice and get a good look at them uh we do know cincinnati favors uh drafting guys who are closer around them we saw that a lot with uh you know guys like st hubbard from ohio state they have like four or five ohio state players on their team right now so there's they're a big fan of the ohio state guys uh, i'm sure they're going to be looking at cincinnati guys as well maybe even some kentucky guys we'll have to see but i do think they have a lot of interest in guys that are uh you know that, that are around and put where they're at right now yeah, I think that's kind of the the sentiment there is the Bengals are cheap and they still drafted before they changed management. They still kept drafting uh, local kids all the time. They would never draft from big schools unless it was Ohio State. That was one of the old jokes with the Bengals. But they've now evolved and adapted with the times because well, I guess Joe Burrow was technically Ohio State. <laughs> Joe Burrow technically counted as Ohio State for a time. Um, and now they just draft all LSU players. And you know what? It's a pretty good strategy because that LSU team was the greatest college football team any of us have witnessed in our lifetime. And it's not really that close. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they, they just, they find teams they like, right. And then to get, they, you know, get extra close to them. Like 
watch a lot of their films like that. Really, it's Ohio State. Zach Taylor even said in an interview recently, actually, that he pays more attention to the Ohio State players. They really intrigue him. They, he loves how they're developed and things like that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're going to try to draft Tyreek Smith or Haskell Garrett this, this uh, draft. I wouldn't shop him one bit if they get one of those two guys. Um, but I do think that um, – I, I do think it's like the homegrown kind of idea that uh, maybe they're because they're around there. They got to see them a lot. They know how they how they you know they're, they they know their strengths and weaknesses a lot better. They know what this guy's going to be able to pan out or not. They get a good idea of what this guy is as a prospect. I think that's a big reason why they like him a lot. Where is Haskell Garrett going to end up? Because I just assume when I hear edge rusher from Ohio State that they're going to be first round picks, and he's he's obviously not a first round pick. Yeah, Haskell Garrett's an interior defensive lineman primarily, uh, mainly a guy that's going to be uh, in the middle. I have him at a 78.3 now, which is going to end up probably being, uh, on my grading sheet, a high fourth-round pick. Uh, I could see him going round three as well. I do think that Haskell Garrett's got the potential to do that. Um, he's he's a guy that I think is uh, mainly the – he was the best player on, on the interior for the, uh, um, for the Ohio State Buckeyes last year. Um, I, I think that uh, he, he has pretty solid pass rush capabilities. I think he's mainly uh, a, a much better run stopper uh, as well. I think it's where he's got a lot of promise at. He's uh, 300 pounds, so he's a big, big guy. Um, I think that he can be a, he's tr- primarily a three tech next level. So he's not going to be the nose tackle kind of like how John Bridgeway is, but I do think that he can be a great run stopper and a solid pass pressure as well. Um, he lined up right next to Tyreek Smith a lot of times on defense. So I got to see him both basically at the same time. I kind of scouted both. I got the feeling that teams were more worried about Haskell Garrett in terms of pass rushing. They were Tyreek Smith, which is why Tyreek Smith was able to get a lot of pressures because he got to go one-on-one a lot of times. Um, Haskell Garrett got a lot of double teams, had a couple of problems with that, but um, was still able to get a lot of pressure and, and had a lot of success um, in, in rushing the passer and, and getting run stops this year. So I think Haskell Garrett's a better prospect than Tyreek Smith. I, it would not shock me one bit if he ends up in round three. I have graded as a high fourth. Well, all right then. That's a pretty good analysis for Ohio State in a, you know, what's going to go down as a down year for Ohio State because they've just gotten used to destroying Michigan and then Michigan took their shit. And uh, well, now Michigan's going to go back to being kind of average. I don't think this is like a building block thing, but it's still Ohio State uh, had the disappointing season. Although we kind of forget they played in like one of the greatest Rose Bowls ever right this year. But when you're Ohio state, you've come to expect a certain thing. Having third round edge rushers becomes a little bit of a disappointment for some reason. Yeah. Um, everyone wants to get their, uh, get an edge rusher around one or two, right. Uh, always had to, always had the sentiment, uh, or the quote, uh, never, you can never have enough edge rushers, right? That's always been what everyone says because it kind of is true in a way. You can never have enough edge rushers because a lot of them are getting injured. Uh, so you get to have good replacements. A lot of them can be versatile. Some of them can play on the interior. Some can, can play on the outside, of course. They can be outside linebackers if need be, right? You have guys like Rashawn Gary. You can play anywhere pretty much that you want them to, um, which is really cool. Um, so I, I definitely think that, you know, with the idea of how versatile all the edge rushers are becoming, they can pretty much play anywhere. That's a big advantage. Michael Parsons is another great example. He can, if you want to put Michael Parsons as safety, he can be a safety. He can also be an edge rusher. You can do whatever you want, Michael Parsons, right? He's just like that. So I think everyone wants that versatile, great edge rusher who can come off the edge and be a good pass rusher slash run stopper for your squad. Everyone wants that in the first two rounds pretty much, right? So you're going to see – you're going to see – I would say nine or 10 edge rushers go in the first two rounds. I would say that with pretty big confidence. I'll say, I'll even go on a limb here and say 16. I think 16 edge rushers go in the first two days. I'll say that. 
we'll we'll see how that how that ages. But I think it's going to be up to sixteen edge rushers will end up going in the first two days. Um, let me look and see how many I have graded in the top three rounds real quick. Yeah, I'll write it, it down for you real quick. 16 edge rushers very, by first two days. This is a very deep edge rusher class. Um, I have, okay, well, I only have actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 guys graded uh, in the top, um, the top, in top three rounds in terms of picks. And uh, I, I will say uh, edge rushers for me get a bonus. So I try to like predict where they're going to be drafted. Right. So edge rushers get like a little bit of a bump. So in terms of film grade, I actually have Haskell Garrett graded higher than Tyreek Smith, but after the bump, Tyreek Smith is graded higher. So Tyreek Smith has a late third. Haskell Garrett has a high fourth. I would prefer Haskell Garrett as a prospect. I think Tyreek Smith will get drafted higher. So counting Tyreek Smith, I have 14 guys in the top three rounds. I can see, 14 guys getting drafted there. It wouldn't shut me one bit. I've got like my, maybe Michael Clemens, um, D'Angelo Malone, Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito, maybe. I'm going to, I'll say, I'll, I'll stay safe. I'm going to say 14 because that's what I have my grading sheet. I'll say 14 edge rushers go in the top two days, which is a All lot. Right. That's a lot of edge rushers. Yeah, I, I was gonna. I just had a, an epiphany on this side because I was gonna say you cannot really, but you can always. When you said sixteen and you had fourteen graded, I was gonna say you can always count on John Gruden to reach on a, a very a, true an edge rusher, but he's gone now, and so then I was gonna be like, well, you can always <laughs> count on Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman. I'm like, oh, but they're gone now. They're gone too. Uh, we, we don't have people to make fun of anymore. We need to find new coaches. I was going to say Matt Nagy Pete next, Carroll. and Matt Nagy's gone. Pete Carroll. Oh, that's so fucking disrespectful. Pete, uh, Pete Carroll cannot go from being like Hall of Fame coach to now he's the punchline we make on this. That's, that no, is it's a, not, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not a slight. He just reaches on a lot of players, right? He started to no, I guess, in round one. I guess that's true. He does reach on players, but Who's but this? I guess the jokes we always made are like they usually mess up the picks, right? Which I guess the Seahawks yeah. do usually mess up the picks, but that's crazy that they've lost that capital already. From like John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to get into the NFL Hall of Fame pretty much based on their five years of work at the beginning, and they've already used up all the capital. They're the they're the guys we make punchlines about now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the luck ran out once Russell Wilson left, right? So it's going to be a different story now. We'll see how we'll see how Pete Carroll responds. It, uh, that's crazy. Way. Pete Carroll's the punchline now because I was going to, I was thinking like, is Matt Rule a punchline now? But Matt Rule, that that's going to be a tough existence yeah, if Matt Rule's the punchline. Definitely should be though. I mean, come on, one of the worst coaches in the league right now. I think he's up there. So I think he's, I think he's, he's the hottest of hot seats because like. I think it's something like 24 coaches have changed jobs in the last three years now. Like it's, it's crazy how fast the turnover is in the NFL now where we, we don't even get to like make the jokes long enough with the different coaches and players, even Zach. I can't even make Zach Taylor jokes anymore. And Zach Taylor, like he was, he was so good for content because he looks like white privilege and Zach Taylor was so good. Cause again, I don't, I don't know if Zach Taylor is a good or bad coach at all. He tried to call timeout on the game-winning interception against the Titans, and he just was yeah. denied the ability to blow his team's chances on the last play. Um, 
but even I can't make jokes about him right now because he's bought himself leeway by making the Super Bowl. Unless I just want to double down and say Zach Taylor is not a good coach, um, which could be true. He's not. <laughs> he's not? Okay. I mean, he's not, he's not a bad coach, but he's definitely not in the top 16, right? He's, he's probably like top 20, I'd say. Maybe like 17, 18. But, I mean, had it not been for Joe Burrow and what he's done, you know, we, we never see Zach Taylor here. <laughs> And the Chiefs gagging. I mean, even with the Chiefs gagging all over themselves, they did make the AFC championship. I guess they get, I guess if Lamar Jackson doesn't get hurt and the Chiefs don't gag on themselves, then then those two things had nothing to do with Zach Taylor, though. No, yeah. I mean, Zach, Zach Taylor is a, a, I'll say this, in terms of offseason, what he's able to do, like in the offseason when it comes to training camps and stuff, he's a very good coach. He knows what to do whenever he's on a practice field. In games, another story, right? In games, Zach Taylor is a pretty poor coach, right? Not very good play caller, uh, you know, not the best with timeouts, not the best with clock management, all those things that like, he's not very good at. It. So you, you give him, you give him a chance to build a roster, he can do it. He's a, he's a good roster builder, he's a good team builder, but he's calling the plays in the offense, and that's just not ideal. <laughs> No, I just figured it out. I forgot Doug Peterson's back. We can make Doug Peterson jokes now, but Doug Peterson is also a Super Bowl winning coach, and yet he's just a yeah. punchline. I can't disrespect Doug Peterson because I actually, I actually like that signing for the Jaguars. Like, believe it or not, like <laughs> definitely better than Urban Meyer, right? I mean, but that's a low bar to hit. That's a really like low bar to it hit. Is. is better than Urban Meyer. <laughs> it's exactly what they needed, right? They needed a guy to help calm everyone down. You know. Yeah, like, I, I wanted them to get Rich Passaccia. I thought that would have been made a, a lot of sense there if they were able to get a guy oh, like that. But where is Doug he Peters now? Makes a lot of sense. Where, where did Rich Passaccia end up? A good old Rich special Passaccia. teams coordinator for the Packers. Oh, he's on the Packers now. That's pretty cool. Is he? Good. Is that what it says? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, special yeah, teams nice. coordinator for the Packers. Good for Rich Passaccia. Good, was, good for him. They they watch what happened in that 49ers game and they're like, Yeah, let's 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 get the best special teams coordinator in the league. <laughs> we need it. Is he is I guess he is the best special teams coordinator in the league now because of what he did as head coach. Uh, I would say he is, yeah. What's the guy what's the guy's name? Is it Fossil? Is that the guy who's like the special teams coordinator everyone wants to get? Um uh, is it John Fossil, maybe? Um I just remember he like switched teams and then took the kicker with him. I can't remember what team it was now, though. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, John Fossil, um, he literally left the Rams to go to the Cowboys and, like, took Greg Zerline with him. <laughs> it was kind of funny <laughs> how that worked out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't really don't think special teams coordinators matter much. But, yeah, I don't even know how we got on this conversation. But, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we need to find a new head coach to make fun of. Like the easy answer is oh, oh, Man right, Campbell, right. but everyone loves Man Campbell. So no, yeah, no, I'm not making fun of Man Campbell. It's not happening. I mean, he's going to get fired after this year, but still, like he's no, he's not. No, he's not. Man <sighs> Campbell's going to stay as a Lions coach for as long as he wants because I, I love <laughs> I love his passion. I I love his passion. I know they just, he, he wouldn't have, the thing is that sucks is that he wouldn't have gotten that job if the lions weren't going to tear it all to the ground. And like only Brett Brown in the NBA is. Yeah, but Lovey Smith is, it's already bad enough for Lovey Smith. He's already being set up to fail. It's already bad enough. We don't need to, if we're going to make those jokes, let's make jokes at the fact that the team pastor is literally running the organization. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but he's a good defensive coordinator, though. It's like I don't know if I want to hate on him too much. I don't know. It's, Lovey, it's tough. I like, mean, you, you can if you want. It's just it's low hanging fruit because it's like he only got the job because they they want to fire him after a year, and that's the thing that sucks. Is it's already bad enough for Lovey Smith as it is. I guess we could do. He'll get fired at the end of the year. Rule will get fired at the end. By the way, did you see what Ben McAdoo did this week? I heard something about Ben McAdoo. Did he? Did he? Uh, oh, oh, oh! Uh, it was talking about. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. I got this. I got this. I know what it is. I know what it is. He said Sam Darnold was the starting quarterback of his team, and then he's like, "No, nah, I shouldn't have said that." <laughs> yeah, literally. A literally ninety-seven seconds later, the a reporter asks a follow-up to that. And he's like, "I wasn't supposed to say that." In <laughs> just the most Ben McAdoo way ever, it's just like, "I wasn't supposed to say that to you guys." Uh, but yeah, because. Because it gives away what they're going to do at number six. If Sam's their quarterback, either they're going to like just give Sam the middle finger at six, or they, they've decided. I think they've already decided they're not going to pick a quarterback at six because they're really bad at not like they're really bad at smoke screening. One was right. that, but two, I saw they were interested in Baker Mayfield this week after mutually yeah. disinterested like a month ago, and that was like <laughs> Robbie Anderson. <laughs> Yep, the Robbie Anderson thing. Like that was just a sign to me they don't like any of the quarterbacks in this draft class, but they also know Sam Darnold is not a starter in the NFL. So that was kind of what I got out of that. Was like they just kind of messed it up. They were they were thinking they were gonna get a quarterback in the draft class, and now they're not. They're like, do we want Jimmy G or do we want Baker Mayfield? We're like, we're gonna get fired either way, might as well. They're pretty. I think they're pretty set on tackle in this draft, in my opinion. So I think I think that pick's definitely going to tackle. You're going to see either Aquanu, Neil, or uh, Charles Cross be that pick. I think right now for the for the, or for the Panthers. This, well, this is like that meme everyone points out with the Bengals, where it's like, what's the point of throwing to a wide receiver if your tackle can't block? Uh, it's like that, except what's the point of having tackles and wide receivers if you don't have a quarterback that can throw? <laughs> right. <laughs> just an extra layer to that because the Panthers have nothing. I feel really bad for DJ Moore. He deserves better, but he he, he asked for it. He signed an extension, so I can't complain. Too much yeah, I was gonna say. Do you think the Panthers regret that now? Like seeing like the 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 Seahawks were offering or like the Jets were offering the ten pick for DK Metcalf. Like, do you think they regret like signing DJ Moore for twenty two million a year? It's like the fifth highest paid receiver in the NFL. I feel like they probably already regret that decision. I'm a firm believer that you need to get a quarterback before you worry about wide receivers, but DJ Moore has been really underrated. So I don't know. It, it, it's a tough, it's a tough question because um, you know, no team wants to get rid of a DJ Moore type guy, but if you don't have a quarterback, then you know, like what's really the point, right? You're just wasting him. So I don't know, but we'll see. Has DJ Moore ever had a thousand yard season? Let's see. Oh, oh he's yeah. had 3000 yard season. Three. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. He's not, I, I'm pretty sure he's never had an under a thousand yard season yet. At just his rookie year, but that, that probably doesn't count because I assume he was injured for part of it, given how many games it looks like he played. Oh, no, he played all the so, games. No, he just... Uh, well, he, that was the year Robbie Anderson had a really good season, right? Or not Robbie Anderson. Um, who else was there? They, they <laughs> let's, really let's, let's do this. Let's look up the 2018 Carolina Panthers. Let's do this right now. It's a great way to cap off this podcast. Let's go deep into the archives of the 7-9 2018 Carolina Panthers. Uh, let's see. They had, well, they had, obviously this was the first McCaffrey year or second, second McCaffrey year. This is the second McCaffrey year. Um, 
they had Curtis Samuel still at this point. Curtis Samuel had at that point though, right? Yeah, Curtis Samuel had. Uh, let's see, Curtis Samuel that year had four hundred and ninety-four receiving yards. Um, they had Devin Funchess. Devin Funchess's last season in Carolina, he had five hundred yards and four touchdowns. Um. This was the last Greg Olson season. Greg Olson played nine games, had 290 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Who was receiving then? I think it was DJ Moore at like 788. Oh, wow. Oh, it was, it was, no- <laughs> it was Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey led the team in receiving. <laughs> oh. So this, this was a Christian McCaffrey's year where he inserted himself as a top three running back. I guess I can't remember it, which year was 2019. The year that he made the, pro- yeah, I think 2019 was the year he made it as a wide receiver. And uh, he made all pro as a wide receiver and as a running back, but he did make all pro as a running back in 2018. So he had, he had 1900 yards of offense. If you count rushing and receiving, he had about 1900 yards of offense. Wow. Uh <laughs> One more here. Jarius Wright was the third leading receiver on the team with 447 wow. <laughs> yards. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> Jarius Wright. I think he played on the Ravens at one point. I'm not 100%. Oh, no. He was the guy who was um, he was like the fourth string receiver in Minnesota for a long time. Uh, he's been out of the league for like three years, but he was like the fourth. Str- he was with Minnesota for a long time. Um, he was always like, basically he was what KJ Osborne is now. That's basically what Jarius Wright was. Um, he was just, he was just like every now and then he'd end up with a touchdown and you'd be like, Oh, what? Look at that. Jarius Wright caught a touchdown from like Sam Bradford. (laughs) The Minnesota Vikings just did not show. Yeah, he did. He had, um, he had 11 touchdowns in six seasons with the Minnesota Vikings. It's like, all right, I guess. Yeah. He was bouncing between fourth string, fifth string, and practice squad, but he always made the team. He always ended up making the team. Alex Erickson. Yep. (laughs) Alex Erickson. That's a good, that's another close example. Who are those guys? Um, Because I think of that with like Andy Isabella for the Cardinals. Yep. Yeah. Darius Hayward Bay. Yep, Darius Hayward Bay at the end of his career. That was definitely his role. Um, Zach Pascal. Yep, yep, yep. Zach Pascal. Zach Pascal. I think uh, he's on like the Eagles now. It was like really weird. I was like, oh yeah. wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, honestly, basically, I, these are like the who he play for people. Dude, like people were yeah. wide receivers. I'd add to who he play for. Devin Funches, right? Yeah, Devin Funches towards the end. Career. Yeah, Devin Funches like sat out a year for COVID and then just never, I just never heard from him again. Just decided I'm good. I don't need football anymore. It it, it should be all of my Zacchaeus, but now he's wide receiver one. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot, some guy named Zacchaeus, as I like to call him. That's a good one. Um, who else is in this game? I like this game now. Um, I mean, this guy's too young, but like Westbrook Aquina for, for Tennessee. Yeah. I was thinking him or Chester Rogers, one of those two, but. I oh, Chester Rogers, Rogers is great for this game. Chester Rogers yeah. is great. Chris Conley. Chris Conley is great for this. Yep. Chris Conley is a good one. Um, uh, I like Tavon Austin. Uh, Tavon Austin's difficult because he was drafted like top 10 in the draft, but like, yeah, special teams guy, fifth wide receiver. That's that's he. It, the past like five years, he's fit into that mold for sure. 
who else is in this game? Who are those old? Oh, oh Dontrell Inman. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's got to be like a Patriots wide receiver that I'm forgetting that should be like in a. Yeah, Chris bottom. Hogan. Oh, there you go. There you go. My fault. Yeah, Chris Hogan. Is he still is he still on a roster? Let's see. Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan's still hanging around the NFL. Oh, it looks like he's finally retired. Uh he was on the Saints last. That's right. He was in the Ian Book game. I was really confused. I was like, wait, Ian Book and Chris Hogan are playing football in 2021. Uh Nelson Aguilar, I guess kind of oh, he's yeah. been all right, actually. He had, he had the he had one good season. He had one good yeah. I guess he had two good seasons. The Raiders year was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Zay Jones. Zay Jones is yeah, short. yeah, like they could be a slot receiver. Like they're you, you, you wouldn't be surprised if you saw him catching punts on special teams. Like that's that's what I'm thinking of. If you, Trent if you Taylor, saw, yeah, that's a good one. Even Bengals players, Dante Pettis. There you go, Pettis is a good one. I forgot. Yeah, he I thought he was going to be so got, good. I always got him and Curtis Samuel mixed up for some reason. I know I never know why, but I always got those two mixed up. It's interesting. They didn't even go to like similar colleges no, either. They're not even. They're not even close. It's just you ever have like there's like two random players who you just kind of think of as the same for some reason. I believe yeah. I did this once on a podcast. I called. I called one of them the other. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there there was a Elijah Vera Tucker and someone last year. I can't remember who it was though. Oh no, no, that was the teams that he played for. I got mixed oh. up between Iowa State and USC. Remember? Yeah, that's good. But no, no, I, I did this in the podcast. It was a long time ago, maybe, but I, 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 I believe I kept calling Curtis Samuel Dante Pettis. And oh, no, 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 I call, I keep calling Dante Pettis Curtis Samuel is what it was. And you're like, who? I'm like, yeah, hold on. I mean, now Over. they're both now they're both just moving around the NFC East, but still, I get your point there. Like, I have I, who is a version of that that I have? Um, what's the what's the name of the old Steelers running back? Uh, is it Jalen Samuels? Is that a running back oh, for yeah. the Steelers? Yeah, I used yep. to get him. I, I used to get all the Steelers running backs mixed up. Like did, one point, so I did too. Yeah, I did too. Go yeah, ahead. I mean my most my most famous one. I mentioned this all the time. Is that for eight years as a child, it was Uzama, it was Croft, and it was Eifert. And when I I, I like associated Uzama as Eifert and Croft as uh, Uzama, and I just had them all mixed up. I never got the Bengals tight ends correct. And they were always the same tight ends for like six years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a Bengals fan, so I definitely remember those, but I'm trying to think, I, I, I definitely, I, I know what you're talking about. I got for a while whenever McFarlane was first drafted. I got him and Jalen Samuels mixed up all the time as well uh, on the Steelers running back core. Um, this happens well. to me with um, college football because, like, um, Arkansas had like multiple brothers that played quarterback for them. Um, I think it was the Allen brothers. I think it was like Austin and then Brandon Allen were like Brandon, back, yeah. back at Arkansas. Yeah. That messed with me a little bit. Yeah, I remember that messed uh, with me as well. I this one this one I thought was original, but everyone recognized it. It feels like Nebraska has had a Martinez playing at quarterback for like twenty years now. Um, <laughs> so true, but now now they don't. I think he transferred, right? Yeah, I think they're finally out of Martinez's after like literally eight years. Um, <laughs> it's they. I don't think they've made a bowl game since they started doing the Martinez strategy. So I'm glad they finally changed this. Yeah, um, no, they're, they're making a bowl game this year. Don't worry. Are they though? Are they? They should. They have a good roster. 
I did love the the stat last year that Nebraska's margin of defeat or, or Nebraska's plus minus in Big Ten play was better or point differential, I guess it would be. Basketball, it's plus minus and in, in football, it's point differential. The point differential for Nebraska was smaller than Michigan State. Michigan State went like six and one and Nebraska was like two and five in conference play. Nebraska just kept losing one possession games and like blew out Rutgers or something. <laughs> yeah. Who else was uh, Maybe it was, I think, they, I can't remember if they beat Northwestern, but Northwestern was bad last year. Um, I have a quick who he play for if you'd like to. I, I, I can't save this one for five months, but I, I will throw this at you and see if you know this. Let's do it. Who he play for? Duke Johnson. Oh my God. Uh, used to play for. Oh, he just signed somewhere. Yeah, yeah, Buffalo. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah. Nice I remember job. that. Because <laughs> this, this, it helps that I play a lot of fantasy football now. Because <laughs> I have Zach Moss in fantasy, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, I hate Zach Moss because <laughs> this dude, this dude was literally so promising as a prospect and had a couple. I don't really hate Zach Moss, more or less. I just hate the Buffalo Bills because they never want to use him now. So it went from it went from it being a split between Devin Singletary to Zach Moss. Zach Moss, like kind of taking over the role back to Devin Singletary and now they just signed Duke Johnson. So they have like three guys, right? I'm so pissed. Yeah. I'm so pissed at Buffalo over this. Cause in 2020, I was in the same camp as you. I picked Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and said, one of them's going to have to pop off. I've literally been waiting like the, in my entire life, like two years now for Devin Singletary to break out. And I thought it was happening at the end of last season, but they just gave him like 27 carries the last four games of the season. Cause they were resting Josh Allen. And then they got to that Chiefs game, which might be like the greatest football game ever played. And it was like, oh, Josh Allen's going to run the ball 12 times and Singletary's going to touch it six. And it's like, okay, so Devin Singletary's not good. Um, but I'm mad right. that Buffalo just doesn't give up like a bunch of picks and get like Dalvin Cook. Like, just go go get a like at least top 10 running back. It doesn't have to be McCaffrey, although that would be cool. Just get a, get like a base level, good running back. They just need like not the worst running back core in the NFL. Yeah. Get like a, uh, we'll see. I mean, I think what would be cool is if the giants gave up on Saquon and then Buffalo Bills just dive in and get Saquon. I think that'd be, yeah, that's totally fine. That, that would be, and they wouldn't have to give up picks for it. Like you could totally do that. Yeah, just don't get, just don't have De- Devin Singletary. <laughs> yeah, don't have literally the worst running back room in the NFL. And I defy you, who has a worse running back room in the NFL? The Jets might have an argument for that. Didn't they draft? I guess Michael Carter's not that good. Even Houston now, this is another fun one. Houston has Marlon Mack now. And Marlon Mack went yep. for a thousand yards behind a good O-line. Yeah, I mean... I definitely think Michael Carter is probably the best of all those guys, but I don't know. They don't. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. How about non jets category? How about just the non teams that we know are terrible? Um, Like the dolphins before this off season, (laughs) I still, I mean, I disagree. I, I push back against most people on this and some people believe in like the Mike McDaniel system. I'm like, Miles Gaskin is still their number one running back. If Miles Gaskin is still your number one running back, your offensive, your, your running back room is still shit. Like, I don't care how many like guys you add after that. Like you're not good. If miles Gaskin is still your number one. Oh, you're on mute. 
my fault. Uh, who, who they got? Raheem Oster and who? Um, is it Brita? It might be Brita. Let me see. They added someone else though. Um, oh, better. Oh, Chase Edmonds. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, Chase Edmonds is going to be a starter there. Even over Gaskin? Yeah. Uh, Edmonds was pretty solid last year, all things considered. Definitely better yeah. in fantasy. <laughs> I know. He's just, it's, he feels like an RB2, though. And maybe that's just because he was an RB2 on Arizona and like a third down back. It just, yeah, well, it, he's, he's, a, he's really a, a pass catcher, right? He's more like a, a, yeah, he's supposed to be a third down back, right? But I still think he's probably better than Gaskin. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know what happened to Mostert. Like, I just don't know what happened there. But I couldn't stay healthy. <laughs> Gaskin did only average three point five yards per carry last year, so I I kind of understand the the pivot. Oh, to, I didn't do him any favors either, though. Oh yeah, no, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I forgot Preston Williams is still a Dolphin. I'm looking at the Dolphins' depth that's chart another- now. That's another great receiver. Is like one of those guys that we just kind of <laughs> think of the KJ Osborne. <laughs> yeah, I thought Preston Williams was going to be so good. One, I think that was 2020. I thought he was going to be awesome in fantasy, and it's just I kept him for like 10 weeks, thinking he was going to pop off, but it didn't happen. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, who else <laughs> is there? Anyone else we can think of in this game? Mm. Not sure. It's tough. It's a tough conversation because there's so many like backup running back. We're, we're, we're wide receivers. We're just listing backup wide receivers basically now, trying to figure out which ones are, are like what we're thinking of. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of them though, right? Like uh, I could throw like Kelvin Harmon or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, Kelvin. Well, Kelvin Harmon. I remember how high I was with him throughout the draft process. Yeah, he was pretty cool. Uh, who else is in there? I'm just kind of going to teams rosters. Oh, Philip Dorsett's a good one. Philip Dorsett fits this kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. Dorsett's been a journeyman. He's gone everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, now he's kind of been a journeyman. He was a first round pick. He was one of those Belichick first round picks. It's interesting. Yep. True. I yep. kind of, I kind of forgot about that over time. Yeah. Usually these guys end up on like Baltimore or something. Like usually these guys have like one random stop in Baltimore. <laughs> Miles, Miles Boykin, that's that. a good one. He just got released. Yeah. Uh, Miles Boykin, he, he will, he will, sometime this year, he's going to end up having a random touchdown on some team. It's probably going to be the Patriots. He just, he just signed the Steelers. Oh, he did sign with the Steelers. Oh, well, yep. uh, he'll have a random touchdown from the Mitchell Steelers. Trubisky and or <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky to Miles Boykin. Wow, what a duo. Wow, what a! They're still gonna win nine games. <laughs> still, yeah, they'll find a way. Yeah, TJ Watt will get like seven touchdowns. Yeah, they're still gonna find a way to win nine games. Somehow, Miles Boykin's gonna like. By the time we get to like week fifteen, he's gonna be on Tampa, and we're all just gonna be like, "What? How did that happen?" <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah there's a lot the, of people. The, the Grayson like guy, Grayson guy, there's another good example from Tampa as well. Um, Cyril Grayson again. Cyril Grayson. I, I still attest that's just a made up player. Like he's not, he doesn't exist. (laughs) Cyril Grayson is more of a concept than he is a football player. (laughs) He's not real. I'll never forget when he caught it. Cause he had like one catch for 60 yards for a touchdown in like a a bucks, maybe his bucks saints game. I was just like, he caught the game winner in one game. Didn't he? Yeah. I think he had like three catches for like 150 yards and two touchdowns. I was like, (laughs) 
Okay. That was like the whole season, like the whole season. He had like three catches, 150 yards, two touchdowns. I was just like, this is not a real player. This is just uh, Tom Brady, like just made him up as a concept of everything the Patriots have been doing for 20 years with wide receivers. <laughs> I like that. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's, Cyril Grayson is just a concept. He's not actually a player. He's just more of a concept that exists in our minds that, you know, Tom Brady will somehow have anyone can catch 60 yard touchdowns. And even I think is Brashad Perriman still there? Cause Brashad Perriman kind of fits this guy. I know he was a first uh, round pick, but he kind of fits this game. Is, is he a jet now? I can't remember. I know he was on Tampa for a time. Let's see. Yeah. Rashad per- oh, he is still on Tampa. Is he? Wow. Yeah, he is still on Tampa. He disappeared. That's kind of yeah. Um, yeah, he re-signed in free agency with the Bucks. apparently. Um, let's see. Why? Rashad Perriman. <laughs> yeah, good question. I don't know. Why not? I mean, <laughs> oh, you know who fits this game really well? And we, we loved him as a prospect in 2020. Tyler Johnson. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a shame though, because he 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 could be it. Whenever he gets the chance to play, he's pretty good though. He could be a third guy. I think he yeah. might actually end up being a third guy on the team this year. I'm not too sure. We'll Didn't they sign Russell Gage though? They did. That's a shame. I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, they Dang. took. They literally a, took that. That makes no sense to me. Let me talk about this real quick. I, I've heard the 49ers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been in the market for a wide receiver and free agency in the draft this year. Like they want to get another guy, but they have Russell Gage, Tyler Johnson, and the made-up player all on their team, right? So, like, what's the point of adding another wide receiver when you already have five guys? That I think are pretty solid enough to be able to play. It makes no sense to me at all. I don't get that. And they also still have Scotty Miller hanging around there somewhere. Scotty, yeah, yeah. I forgot about Scotty Miller. <laughs> because because no matter who they no matter who they draft at whatever round it is, they will be more skilled than Cyril Grayson and Scotty Miller. Like <laughs> those those guys can it's not like it's impossible to cut Scotty Miller and Cyril Grayson. Like it's not the end of the world if those two players get cut. But listen, as a Bengals fan who is desperate for a wide receiver for right now, I would pay a lot of money for Scotty Miller. I would. Why? Because <laughs> we, we need we need a good backup. We need a deep threat. Scotty Miller makes a lot of solid plays for a you know for a backup. Scotty Miller in 2021 had five catches for 38 yards. Because he didn't, we didn't really see the field at all. But the previous season, what he had like 300, 400 yards. Uh, let's see. He did in the playoff game though. He did have 46. I think yeah, he missed most of the season last year. Let's see. Yeah, he missed most of the season last year. It's just a tough break for him. Uh, let's see. Uh, Scotty Miller stats. I don't know why we're doing this, but let's see Scotty Miller stats. Uh, 2020 Scotty Miller had 501 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. Which is more than Jarius Wright had as the third leading receiver on that Panthers team. (laughs) Right. I'll take that. I'll take that from Scotty Miller. I think there's a real possibility. Scotty Miller in 2020 would have been the leading receiver on last year's giants. I think this might be the the perfect exit ramp to this podcast. I think you know, this might you, be a real thing. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. I have a guy that I kind of think of as, an, as like the guy that everyone wished Scotty Miller would have been in the draft this year. And that's Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. It's all wraps her back around perfectly. Alec Pierce is what Scotty Miller wished he was. <laughs> Scotty Miller in that one season with Tampa Bay had, if you count his rushing yards as well, Scotty Miller had 
515 yards. The leading receiver last year on the Giants, Kenny Galladay, had 521. That's insane. (laughs) No way that's real. (laughs) There's no way. Yeah, Scotty Miller would have been the leading receiver on last. Would have been tied, basically, as the leading receiver on last year's Giants. My God. And to think that I actually wanted to get Kenny Galladay on the Bengals. (laughs) But this was what this was a world? this was a bygone era. This was a time when you still thought that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals were just a sad franchise that had to overpay for Christian Kirk and Kenny Galladay. This was a before you had a star quarterback. Right, that's true. That's true. I'll, I'll give you that. 